Here we are. Uh, let take a look. Uh, just again, we've had two introductory lessons, an overview of the Psalms. So the book of Psalms is a spirit-filled playlist for living as God's covenant people under Christ the King. And so I have just kind of, after two lessons, I feel like I, I now know how to chart this out. So there you go. The summary of everything we've seen is here. And just remember, at each of the five books, there is a ending praise that is some form of these words, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, Amen and Amen. So we move through that structure of this playlist that there's there's mountaintops, but there's valley lows. There's the more songs are lament songs of sorrow and grief and confusion and despair than any other song. And yet there is this rhythm of praise all the way through, ending with what we're going to study today and begin to study the doxological hallelujahs that begin and end with this shout of praise Yahweh. We would say praise the Lord. They begin with it and they end with it. And it's like a reminder at the end of the Psalms that from beginning to end, we are to praise the Lord. And I think this ending, this climatic ending of the Psalms reminds us that this is how we're going to praise the Lord when the King comes. What we're going to study today and for the next five weeks, this is what we're going to be saying when the King comes. Therefore, this is how we should be praising Him now as we are His people anticipating that. Then, I want to just make mention of this, and I learned this doing this study, that there are four collections of hallelujah songs. There's four different collections. And it's interesting that these four collections, we're studying the fourth one, but before them, there are these other ones, and they all are in either book four. Well, this one is the only one. This is at the end of book four, and the rest of them are in the beginning, the middle, or the end of book five. So there's this, as you read through the Psalms, there's this growing hallelujah chorus that keeps growing, building until you reach the doxological Hallel Psalms. And you can see they come at climatic points. I'll let you read that and study that further, but uh, already have talked to several of you that are because of our study, you're reading the Psalms and, and you're keeping this in mind. I'm keeping it in mind. Uh, I, I haven't studied this like this and, and it just helps. It helps with the Psalms. It helps to move out of picking and choosing individual Psalms and starting to see the rhythm of praise through God's uh, scripture. So let's talk a little bit about this praise the Lord. What's this mean? What is the meaning of hallelujah, and it's hallelujah, which is the Hebrew for praise, and then yah, hallelujah, and yah is the shortened form of God's covenant name, Yahweh. 
So in English, it means praise the Lord, praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. And I just want to give you three characteristics of this because we're going to see it each week. And I just want to give you a little introductory that, first of all, it's a general call to all creation to join in praising the Lord. In fact, one of the Hallelujah Psalms that we're going to study, Psalm 148, once you turn there, just a couple pages, Psalm 148, look at verse 1 and how it begins in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. And then drop down to verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters, and all the deeps. So this psalm we're going to see goes from the highest highs to the lowest depths of the earth, from heaven to earth, and says all of creation. So when you hear praise the Lord, it's a general call to all of creation. In fact, look at Psalm 150, the very final psalm, the very final hallelujah psalm. Look at verse 6, the very... Last verse of this book says this. Let everything that has breath do what? Praise the Lord. And then how's it end? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So it's a general call to all of creation. Secondly, it's an effectual call to God's chosen people. It is an effectual call. Meaning that when this call goes out to everyone in creation, not everyone's going to respond. But when this call goes out, those who know God and have been chosen by God and have responded to God and know Him, when they hear praise the Lord, you know how they respond? Yeah, we're all in, exactly. I am there. I am ready. I am ready to call Look back at 148, this psalm that talks all about creation, and yet it ends with the effectual call to God's redeemed people. Look at verses 13 and 14. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven. That's why they are all called to praise. But look at verse 14. And He has lifted up a horn for His people. That is a prophecy of Messiah, of Jesus Christ. Praise for all his godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so there's more that we could go on that. We're going to look at here specifically this morning in Psalm 146. Finally, I want you to see that when you hear praise the Lord, it's not only a general call, not only an effectual call, But it's a royal command. It's more than just an invitation. It's more than just, hey, this is a good idea. Why don't you join in? It is truly a royal command that we will be fulfilled when God's kingdom purposes are fulfilled. In other words, remember the psalm that starts the book, Psalm 2? Why are the nations raging? Kiss the son, lest he be angry. In other words, there's coming a day that when you don't praise the Lord, you will praise the Lord whether you want to or not. And we see that in Philippians chapter 2. That when Jesus is humiliated 
as the suffering servant, he will be exalted and have a name above every name. And Philippians 2.11 says, Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is what? Lord, Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. In other words, every knee, every tongue will obey this royal command. Some in heaven, because they have freely chosen to trust Him, and those in eternal hell who are under His royal subjects. They are, his, they are under His royal authority, and they must acknowledge, You are Lord, and I am not. So, this shout, praise the Lord, it can be a shout of joy, or it can be a shout of terror. And in fact, this word, hallelujah, can be used that way in the Bible. It's used as a shout of joy, but also a shout of terror. So what we're going to do in the weeks to come, look at the chart there, uh, here. We're going to look at these five psalms. And I've summarized these. This is what we're going to look at in the weeks to come. Today, let's look at the choice. The choice. Then we'll look more at the call. And then we'll see that, indeed, this is a command, like I was just speaking to all of creation. And then we're going to see it's a celebration and a conquest. And then the final consummation of the book and of all of history and of our series. So let's take a look at Psalm 146 in your Bibles. Let's read that together. How's it begin? Let's all say it together. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah, I like that. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts, his plans, his purposes perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord, I am, sets the prisoner free. The Lord, I am, Yahweh, opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves righteousness. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. But he thwarts or ruins the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. And what else could we say to that but? Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Isn't that good? Oh, now let's let's teach it. Okay, let's look at it. First of all, this is all about a choice. This kickoff is all about a choice. And the first thing I want you to see is that the choice is a commitment. It's a commitment. We get the opening, praise the Lord. First, there is the call or the command. And then we need to realize that's a call. That's an invitation. That's a command. So there needs to be a response. There's a choice to be made. The choice must be made. And what we have in verses 1 and 2 are five characteristics 
of what that choice is like. And that choice is a commitment. So let's look at it. It's a personal commitment. It's a personal commitment. I will praise the Lord. And who is the Lord? He is my God. My God. What a claim. I will, my God. You see, it's a personal commitment. The choice to answer the call to praise the Lord begins in each of our hearts. It begins in here. It begins with you, in your heart, in my heart. I can't make this choice for you. I can't answer this call for anyone else other than myself. I can't answer for my wife. I can't answer for my daughter. I can't answer for any of you. I can't answer for the lost people in my life who desperately need to answer this call. I can't do this for anyone other than myself. And the one that I personally choose and commit to praise is the Lord, the self-revealed God. See, a lot of people, praise the Lord has become a cheap phrase, right? Not only among Christians, sadly, but even in our greater culture. Praise the Lord. Well, I praise God. I praise God all the time. I praise God on my fishing boat this morning. Yeah, well, you should be here praising Him with His people. Amen? All right? That's what we do. Because we're praising the self-revealed God. We don't get to make God in our image. I don't get to choose which God I praise. There is one God who is calling us, and he is the God who has self-revealed himself. And that God is inviting you and I for him to be your God and my God. It's a choice to enter into a covenant relationship where the one true God becomes your God, and you, you become his child. You become a servant of the king. You become the beloved of the bridegroom. Is that not a beautiful thing? This is what we get to do. It's a personal commitment. Secondly, it's a wholehearted commitment. It is a wholehearted committed commitment. What does the psalmist say? Praise the Lord. Oh my what? Oh my soul. In soul, nephish in Hebrew is a great word. Uh, When God knelt down and gave mouth to mouth to Adam in the garden, he breathed the breath of life, the breath of the spirit into him, and he became a living soul. When you see soul, it means all that you are on the inside, the inner being, everything you are, and the soul is how we relate to the rest of the world. It's, It's you Everything that's in you and your life all around you, all of that is to what? Praise the Lord. So see, we just don't, this totally obliterates, well, I praised him Sunday, now I get to do what I want the rest of the week. You see what I'm saying? This totally obliterates, well, I can only praise him if I'm with God's people. I can't praise him when I'm alone or when I'm lonely or when I'm desperate or when I'm sad. No, All that is within you and all that is around you that is yours is to be offered up. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Thirdly, it's a lifelong commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. What does he say? Praise the Lord, oh my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. 
I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Whoa. Now stop and think of what he said. As long as I'm alive. So it's not just when I'm at church and I feel spiritual. It's not just when I feel like praising the Lord. What have I said so many times? The majority of the Psalms are laments. We praise the Lord in the pits and the valleys. And we praise him in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And let's just be honest. I'll be honest. When it's good, I often what? Forget to praise him. Hey, things are going good. You know, it's like my professor, Howard Hendricks, he would say, let's pray. And people say, is it that bad? You know, well, let's praise. Well, is it bad? You know, we praise him in the good. We praise him in the bad. And that's not easy to do, is it? But we also praise him in the ugly. When you don't want to praise him, you don't see a reason to praise him. Life has closed in. Darkness has surrounded you. And yet even in, he says, as long as I have life, from the depths of the valleys to the tops of the mountain, I have made a lifelong commitment. We will praise him. And uh, I have told you this before. Uh, I, I have, Gwen and I, we have been flat on our backs in our living room. Uh, and, and just with no hope and no desperation, and I would just read the Psalms to her. Because at the end of the day, someday we're all going to be flat on our backs. We're all going to be taking our last breath. And the only thing, the only hope and the only help is going to be the Lord. Amen? Let's just get in practice and start doing that. Fourthly, it's a repeated commitment. It's a repeated commitment. I mean, in verse 2, he says, I will praise the Lord. Well, isn't that enough? Can't I just make this commitment once? No, he says it again. I will sing praises to my God. And so here we're reminded that this commitment to praise the Lord is like Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Present it. But then... You keep presenting it. You present it again and again. Because the thing about a living sacrifice, it can jump off the altar, right? And so you got to keep getting that. And so there's that idea. I just recommit every day. Every morning, first thing I do when I wake up, I pray the Lord's Prayer back to the Lord and just a recommitment. When Amber was born, uh, I mean within... I'd say five minutes of her being born, the nurse left, and I held her, and we dedicated her. And yet, and I've told you this as well, that each October during World Outreach, I just dedicate her again. Just, de- just keep dedicating her again. And especially now that God knows what she's doing in Budapest. I don't know. We called her the other day, or she called. Hey, how you doing? What are you doing, Amber? Oh, we went to Slovakia today. I'm just like, oh, God, help us. God, help us. Yeah, there was uh, some, some Kurds that were pretending they were Turks. And the, the, the Slov- Slovakian people came in and, and took their passports. I, I, I don't know. I, I quit listening at that point. I was just like, okay, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah, you made it back, right? Yeah, we're, I'm, I'm home. Okay, okay. 
Okay, I'm walking home, really. Is it dark? I don't know. What's going on? All right, so we praise the Lord. It's a repeated commitment. And you just dedicate them. You dedicate and you dedicate yourself. Number five, it is a... Oh, and let me just say this, by the way. This is a commitment. You say, well, I, I, I've committed to praise God. But listen, you, you can't... It, there's no two grades of salvation to where, oh, okay... You get excited about those things, Chris. You're a pastor. I know other people get excited. But I'm just going to slide by. No, this is salvation. This commitment that we're saying of praising the Lord is the commitment of salvation. So this isn't on top of being saved with a free ticket to heaven. This is what we do as saved people. And then fifthly, it's a congregational commitment. When he repeats this, one of the reasons he repeats it, he says two, in verse 2, I will praise the Lord while I live. And then he says, I will sing praises to my God. And you need to understand when he says sing praises, and you see this over and over in the Psalms, when he says sing praises, he means in the gathered community at the temple. He's talking about singing praises led by the priests of Israel. He means singing praises, having offered up sacrifices of atonement and commitment and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise. The Psalms know nothing. The Psalms know nothing of praising the Lord in isolation. Okay, they know nothing of that. You say, but aren't there individual psalms? Yes, there are. And guess why, where they're collected? In the book of Psalms to be sung in the congregation. <laughs> you say, well, there's, there's, there's individual psalms in here. Yeah, what happens, maybe David was watching the sheep and he praises the Lord with all his life. Maybe he's, at least two psalms, he's hiding in a cave Fear. Saul is trying to kill him. I mean, hiding in a cave is not fun. And he wrote a psalm. And then he carries it to the temple. And the congregation sings it and rejoices in his deliverance together. Look at that next slide, Audra. It says, there's no concept in isolation. So when he says, oh, my soul, that is a redeemed individual. But when he says, I will sing praises, that is the gathered community. And so here's what I want you to see. That individual praise overflows into congregational praise. See, it, you know, sometimes we're just lucky to get out of bed and come to church. Are we, are, are we okay on that? Okay, and we need the congregation, you know, then you come here and when you make the the faith choice, the obedient choice, the godly choice to come, even though you don't feel like it, you get here. And I have never met anyone and said, boy, that was a mistake coming. <laughs> I've never met. I, I, never. Every person has testified. And I say it myself that when I come on those days, I'm like, man, I'm glad I came. And then my attitude changed. My, my, my circumstances don't, but my, my heart changes. So, so I get that. But still, 
90, 80, 90 percent of the time we ought to be coming here not so we can get juiced up, but because we're already juiced up because we've been praising the Lord, you know, individually, and now we can't wait to do it with the congregation. Does that make sense? And then when you hear when you're here, the congregational praise fuels individual praise. So it's a, it's a cycle. Individual praise overflows on Sunday. And then Sunday, you get greater fuel for the rest of the week because Sunday is the first day of the week. Now, if I had time, I would take you, look at those uh, verses that I have listed there for you. Those are all times where the individual due to circumstances, is separated from the temple, separated from the congregation. And the psalm says, I thirst, I long, not only for you, God, but I long you to be in the presence of your people. So I sing this song to you now in the desert, in the wilderness, but I sing it and I say, I can't wait to get into your presence with your people. In fact, the whole Psalms of Ascent, and, and I taught on all those Psalms. You can go to wearelifebridge.com. I, we, in this class, we taught through the Psalms of Ascent. And they are sung by the people of Israel as they went further up and further in, into the presence of God. And then the, the, uh, the Passover Psalms, the, the Hallel, is when they get to the temple, then they sing. And they're like, woo, we're, we, find, we sang on our way. And now that we're in God's people, we really let out the hallelujah. So, this choice is a choice to praise the Lord. It's wholehearted. It's lifelong. It's a commitment that's personal, but it's never just private. It erupts into congregational praise. And it's a commitment that we're all going to make sooner or later, but hopefully you make it sooner before the judgment of the Lord. But here's the thing. Everybody praises all the time. It's based on who you trust, and that's the second uh, truth I want you to see about this choice. It's not only a commitment, but it's a choice that is based on trust. As I was reading through verses 3 through 7, it it, it struck me in this way that who you praise is determined by who you trust to deliver you on a daily basis. Who you praise is determined by who or what you trust for daily deliverance. So this week you praise someone or something. The question is, was it the Lord? Or did you just say, oh, hey, I did good. Or this person, who'd you turn to for deliverance this week? When you panicked, where did you go? Who did you talk to? Think about this. Who you depend on is who you delight in. Who you rely on is who you rejoice in. Who you seek in weakness is who you seek in worship. And whoever is your hope and your, and your help has your heart. 
Whoever is your hope and your help has your heart. Let's read verses 3 through 7. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Whoever has your hope and your help has your heart. So let's take a look at this. We're warned. This is almost a wisdom type warning. Don't trust in mere mortals. Don't trust in mere mortals. And he says, he he has this contrast. He says, don't trust in princes. Why? Because they're the most powerful and the most influential and the most important. And then he lowers them and says, they're merely mortal men. You see? Think about that. They might appear mighty. They might be powerful people in this world and have great influence on this earth. But at the end of the day, they're mere mortals. And look at what he says in verse 4. Verse 4 has echoes that go all the way back to Genesis 2 and the creation of Adam. Notice what it says. Their spirit departs when God says so. And not a moment sooner or a moment later. Their spirit departs. God breathed that spirit and God can take our life in a moment. Their body returns to dust where it comes from. Their influence ends with the grave in terms of fulfilling. Their thoughts perish. The idea is, and I I really had to think through this, because there's all sorts of people who influence our world from the grave, right? I mean, there's, you know, Marx, uh, Darwin. I mean, they're they're influenced from the grave. But at the end of the day, their plans and purposes, their thoughts, their influence, when they died, they're dead. And they're done. They're done. There's only one who has risen from the grave, and that's Jesus Christ. And then he really, <coughs> excuse me, he really hits it in verse 4. Their saving ability, they can't even save themselves. Why would we trust them to save us? So don't trust in mere mortals. Instead, trust in the Lord, the I am God. Trust in the I am God. And so the contrast is how blessed How happy, how wise is the man or the woman who doesn't trust in people, but instead trusts in the I am God. Notice the three characterizations here. And I think they they build the God of Jacob. What's he saying? Well, the second you think of Jacob, you got to remember Jacob was a schemer and a deceiver. Remember when I took all that time to go through the life of Jacob? The reason I did that was not just for the book of Obadiah. I did that because we keep encountering Jacob. So Jacob is the schemer, deceiver, yet who put his trust, not in his flesh like his brother Esau, but in the promises of God. And Jacob was transformed into Israel. What's the idea? Trust the God, the Lord, who transforms the helpless and the hopeless. See, at the end of the day, all of Jacob's scheming and manipulating left him alone and in fear and in the dark by the Jabbok. And God met him 
and he wrestled and he said, bless me. And God transformed Jacob that day and he forever had a limp. Because when you resist the Lord, there's consequences. But when you seek his blessing, he pours it out. Trust the Lord who transformed. He's the help of the helpless. And he's the hope of the hopeless. Secondly, he's the almighty creator. Look at that. Who made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. The Lord who made everything that exists and is self-existent. Self-existent. Here we see God is self-determining. He will fulfill his purposes. Here we see God is self-existent. He was before all things and he is after all things. Why would you not trust that one? And look at the end of verse 6. Who keeps faith forever. Man, that takes you all the way back to Genesis 9 and, and, and Noah and the rainbow that we see. And it reminds that even when all a creation rebels, God keeps faith with his rebel creation. And he chose Abraham to make a redeemed and chosen people. This is the God we want to trust. This is the God that we should praise. And then the faithful redeemer. Look at verses 7 through 9. Here we see that he is the Lord who is reliably true in himself. He's reli- he keeps, that phrase, keeps faith. It means, it's the word for truth. True. He is reliably true. Why? Because that's who he is. He doesn't have to do anything to be trustworthy. He is true. He is reliably true. Therefore, he is trustworthy. Isn't that beautiful? This is who our God is. Did you remember that this week? Did I remember that? Hearing some things, making me anxious. Worrying about what's coming next year. Unstable times filled with unreliable people. We have a God who is self-determining, self-existent. And his self-identity is who he is in his being forever and always. Amen. Just how faithful and reliable is he? Notice the characterizations of helpless, hungry, and hopeless. He's the help to those who are oppressed. He's the feeder. He feeds the hungry who are starved. He's the hope of the hopeless who are enslaved. I sat and I looked at that and I thought, now why is he pulling that out? And when you realize that... You want those three characteristics? That's exactly how Jacob's people were in Egypt. They were slaves. They were oppressed by Pharaoh. They were helpless. They were hungry. They had to work. And they were barely getting day-to-day bread. And they were hopeless. Who would set them free? He's reminding us of the Exodus. He's reminding us 
of how Jacob's people, and yet, and yet there for 400 years they were in Egypt. 400 years, helpless, hungry, hopeless. And yet, you know what? God had already prepared them a deliverer in the person of Joseph. You're saying, yeah, but Joseph started out as a slave. Yeah, he, he was helpless. He was hungry. And yet, what did Joseph do throughout all of his trials? He trusted and he praised, even in temptation. God had already provided them a deliverer who was going to feed them during the famine, the global famine. And God had already promised them a prophet deliverer in Moses. God had already told Abraham, your people are going to be slaves for 400 years and then I'm going to set them free. He's already got this worked out. So where do you feel oppressed? What are you thirsting and hungering for? What is it that you feel in bondage to? The Lord already has provided, and He will provide. Amen? And the Lord has already provided His deliverer, and we're on this side. We know that better Joseph provider is Jesus, the bread of life, the the river of life, the water of life, and we know He's the better prophet. Moses, he's the the great and mighty one who has delivered us from all oppression. Man, that's just good stuff. So wherever you're going through right now, God's going to work it together for good. So trust him. And in your trust, shout hallelujah. And if you can't shout, then you whisper it. And if you can't whisper it, then you call on God's people to shout it, to whisper it, and to weep it with you. Amen. There you go. Now, you're saying, wow, this seems heavy duty. I don't know if I can do this. And guess what? You can't. Here's the third thing I want you to see. The choice is made by the chosen. The choice to do this, all of this, is made by the chosen. Why do I say this? Well, think about it. How can I make this choice? Chris, you're telling me to do this when I'm helpless, hungry, and hopeless. How do I have the strength to do that? How can I keep this commitment and keep it with my whole being my entire life? So now we're taking this off of words and just not paper, and we're saying, okay, this afternoon... Tomorrow, next week. How do I really do this? And the answer is you can't. I can't. I don't always perfectly, though I've made this commitment. The Lord himself has to enable you to make the choice to trust him and the commitment to praise him. The choice is made by the chosen. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 totally shifts from what, it's just, there's a shift there, and there's a, a, a break there, and it just keeps saying, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And then look at what he does. Look at what he does. 
and the people He does it for. The Lord graciously chooses to do three things in these verses. First of all, He graciously chooses to give justice to the undeserving. That's in verse 7. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, who sets prisoners free. So notice what he's doing. He's fighting for the helpless, he's feeding the hungry, and he frees the enslaved. I'm helpless, but he fights for me. I'm hungry, but he feeds me. I'm hopeless, but he frees me. I am not the I am. The Lord is the I am. That's the idea there. I can't do this, Lord. I can't make this wholehearted commitment. I I can't live up and trust you the way you deserve to be trusted. But you can be there for me. You can do this through me. So he gives justice. He executes justice. And yes, listen, none of us, if, if we get the justice we deserve, what is that? Hell. Not even one more breath. Not even one more blessing. Not even one more good thing. Not even another chief's win, Rick. We don't deserve it. Mahomes doesn't deserve it. All the money in the world can't buy it. If we got the justice we deserve, we go to the Lord not for justice that we deserve. We go for what we don't deserve. Secondly, God's saving help to the unable. Man, look at verse 8. Help for the unable. He opens the eyes of the blind. So here we are. I can't see the future. I can't see tomorrow. I can't see one more minute. And the Lord graciously opens our eyes. He does that. And then notice, those who are bound down are raised up. So you got physical and spiritual blindness, and you got physical and spiritual burden. And that word for bowed down, uh, you know, they didn't use words like depression, but that's basically what it is. It's overwhelming distress and humiliation. It's when you're brought so low, you don't think you don't you can't even look up. And when you can't look up, the Lord raises you up. Thirdly. God gives saving hope to the unwanted, the unknown, and the unseen. He loves the righteous. Righteous people aren't popular if you haven't figured that out lately. Righteous people are not wanted by this world. They are canceled. They are persecuted. They are put upon. They are set aside. But what's this say? The Lord loves His righteous people. Not righteous because of their good works, but righteous because they're trusting in the Lord and they're rightly related to Him by faith, by grace through faith in the Lord alone. He loves the righteous. He gives saving hope to the unwanted. He protects the stranger. Amber telling us this story about these Kurds. Kurds who have no government. They have no governmental papers. So these six men were trying to get from Turkey 
trying to get to Berlin because that's the hub of where refugees go to be able to get papers and to get documents. So they're there in Slovakia trying to take a bus to Berlin and, and they're strangers and they're unwanted. And we understand the legal aspects of it. Everything should be done. We understand that. But when you're on the run and you don't have a government and you're fleeing Syria and horrible atrocities, atro- uh, uh, tragic things have happened. You want someone who cares for the stranger. Can I, can I get an amen for that? And here's the deal. All of us feel unwanted and unknown at different times. But it's not just that. It's the unseen. He says the widows and orphans. I'm telling you in our church, no one feels more unseen than our widows. Because that's just the life of a widow. Does anyone care? They, they, they live alone many times. They come here, and God help us if they, let's, let's, let's never let them sit alone. And then they go home alone. They're, they're unseen. And the I am God sees them. Amen? And he gives this saving help, saving hope, saving justice. But notice the end of that verse, 9. So often, the righteous... The stranger, the widow, the orphan are put upon by the wicked. It's the wicked who have sometimes and often exploit these people. And notice it says this, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Now, that's in the New American Standard, thwarts. If, if you're going to see thwart in your Bible, you need to figure out what that means. Okay, some of your translations say ruin or oppose. You look this word up, thwart. It means, the basic meaning is crooked. And basically what he's saying is, I'm going to make the path of the crooks crooked. You know these crooked people that do crooked things, that subvert justice, that pervert justice against real people in real situations? Well, I'm going to take those crooks and I'm going to make their way crooked. Isn't that cool? That's our God. Proverbs 4.19 says this, The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And here God has already said, I open the eyes of the blind. Listen, if you choose to trust the Lord, it's because the the Lord first chose you. He granted you grace. Think about all these things that the Lord does in the Old Testament. What did Jesus do when he came? He opened the eyes of the blind. He made the lame walk. He spoke to the unwanted, the unseen, and the unknown. Jesus is our Lord. Our choice, notice finally, our choice will be fully realized and rewarded when Christ comes with his kingdom. Look how verse 10 ends. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. And what do God people say? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Zion is the glorified city of the Davidic king. What is he saying? When, 
<coughs> without knowing it, the Lord Jesus Christ has come and he has offered grace. Now, when he comes again, he's going to establish his kingdom in Zion. And he will sit on the Davidic throne. And David will be raised up and will sit on his throne. And the nation will be regathered, the, the nation of Israel. And the Gentile nations will be redeemed. And we, the church, will be there, the bride. And we're all going to be there. And he will reign forever to all generations. And we're just going to shout, say it with me again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I hope you've made that choice. And if you have, it's because he first chose you and granted you the grace to do it. He opened your blind eyes. He forgave your sin. He gave you the gift of righteousness. He made you his own. Now praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Let's pray. Father, these psalms are just full of, of truth. And I guess the main thing is you keep faith forever. You are reliably true because that's who you are. Lord, the one we trust for help and hope is the one that has our heart. I pray that each person here has offered their heart to you in a lifelong commitment to trust you and therefore to praise you. Say, how do I know if he has chosen me? Have you heard the gospel? And in hearing, have you responded? Have you responded to the Lord who is Jesus Christ? Has he opened your eyes? Has he granted you the gift of righteousness? And now... Let us trust him and commit to praise him in the good, the bad, and the ugly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go and praise the Lord in the congregation.